So I'm sorry, it's no J today, it's, um, it's Pete. I'm Pete. Most of you know me, don't you? Yeah, you know what's going to happen next, don't you? Yeah. So as you know, I'm a, I'm a subject of the Queen. So we have a couple of rules this morning. Um, I can't remember what they are. Yeah, a couple of rules. Um, one is, um, if you don't understand what on earth I'm saying, you have two choices. Um, you can uh, ask the audience, or you can phone a friend. No, you don't phone a friend. You can poke a friend, okay, and see if they um, can help, right? The other one is, don't believe a word that I say, unless you see it in Scripture. Is that fair? Right. Good. We have, we have the rules in place. So... Welcome to our family gathering at Cultivate. It's always a, a joy, sometimes tense, but always a joy to uh, be able to share with you guys. So I'm really looking forward to, to going through uh, this morning with you. And as you know, we're in our eight-week, it's the last of our eight-week series on everyday essentials. Remember that? So we've been going for eight weeks now. We've done a lot of basic topics that we felt that we all needed to understand that were foundational for us in our walk with God in following Jesus together. And um, as you know, Jay has been doing a fantastic job. He's hiding at the back there. Um, someone said hitting it out of the ballpark, which is not an English expression, but I think, well, you know, it's okay. We can go with that. And um, hard to follow. I, um, I was away for two weeks. Some of you know I was in England. I, I spent uh, two Sundays there, so I didn't hear the messages, and I listened to them when I got back, and they were awesome. They were so awesome, I listened to them again. They were good. So um, let's hope that this is good today. We'll see. All right, so our topic this morning is engaging in spiritual warfare. I'm not really sure how this topic got onto the list of everyday essentials for Christians. I think it's a somewhat of an advanced topic. At least we're going to touch on some things which are maybe a little bit more advanced. But it, it made it there anyway. Um, and uh, we've got to spend a bit of time trying to understand what spiritual warfare is and then talk about how we engage in it. Okay? I've been thinking about this for a few weeks now and uh, I can say that I've, myself, learned quite a bit over these last few weeks as I've, as I've pondered this, so hopefully you're going to learn a few things in the next 30 minutes, but we'll see how that goes. So I'm going to start by asking you a question, and you're all up for questions, aren't you? I'm just checking on you. All right, you're all uh, awake. Nobody's allowed to be asleep. Um, so when you hear the phrase spiritual warfare, what comes to mind? Thistles. Missiles. <laughs> we have a translation issue already. Okay. <laughs> I guess I could phone a friend. What? Right. The, Lord the, the Lord of the Rings. Missiles, the Lord of the Rings. Spiritual warfare. Okay, carry on. What else? Oh. Exorcisms. Ugh. <laughs> Don't. The armor, all right. I'm sure we'll get to that point. Sean? There wasn't one. Sorry, I, I thought I heard saw a hand over there. There's one here. Victory overcoming battle. All right. Screw tape, whatever it is. <laughs> Very good, yep. The, um, when I put that question to, to some folk uh, a week or two ago, one of the responses I got, do two such words go together? Spiritual warfare? Well, yeah, maybe, maybe not. Um, All-day prayer sessions with no food. How about that? <laughs> no? <laughs> long, long messages. With, with, yeah, okay. <laughs> All right, so let's see if we can unpack some of that as we go forward. Let me ask you, in your life, I'm um, thinking about your lives for a moment, slightly more serious question. Where are your battles? Where are your battles? Yeah? 
sorry, in your mind, okay, any others, where are your battles, everyday distractions, okay, family, relationships, sorry, temptation, yeah, temptation and sin, yeah, Others? Sorry? Ego. Oh. Yeah. No? Surrendering our will to God's will. Okay. That's a good one. What was it? I heard another one? Money. Yeah. I think money. Time, I think, as well. Um, job, as well, can be. That type of thing. These are where our battles are. Are they spiritual battles, those things? Well, they can be. Some of them, yeah. And they should be, good. What would make them spiritual battles? What would make them spiritual battles as instead of just, I don't know, life's battles? Uh Uh-huh, that's a good one. I heard something over here. Potential to sin. Okay. Yeah. Yes, yes. Okay, good. Something that takes us further from God, interrupts our relationship with God. I got to Emma right at the back, right? He's been reading the next slide. <laughs> <laughs> Extra, extra marks are back. <laughs> Go on, Pat. So, so the battle isn't necessarily bad. Oh, the tension. Okay. Yeah. Good thing you can see Peter. All right. Pam's going to preach the rest of the message now. <laughs> Josh, you have something? Okay. Good points. Yeah, we're going to cover some of that, most of that in a, in a moment. That's good. Thank you. All right. So let's look, take a look at what God tells us in Ephesians, even though I'm sure Glenn was reading ahead. Um, This is what we read in, in Ephesians 6, which is the passage that kind of comes to mind immediately as you, as you talk about the topic of spiritual warfare and the armor of God. Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take, take your stand against the devil's schemes. For your struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God, so that when the evil day comes, you may be able to stand your ground, and after you've done everything, to stand. So that's um, Paul writing to uh, the Ephesians. So, first the bad news. The devil is real. Scripture is clear on that. Jesus was clear on that. Paul is clear on that in this passage. The devil is real. But then the good news. So, in this passage, what weapon does the devil have? Can you see it in there? They haven't got to the darts yet, but I get that one. He says in this passage, if you look at it, um, take your stand against the devil's schemes. So he has schemes. Big deal. Um, that's not what we learned in our culture. That's not what we learned from Hollywood. Um, I was thinking about this, and I, I thought we could put the good news this way. The devil, you have to be a Star Wars fan. The devil does not have a Death Star. Um, or an Imperial Battlecruiser, it turns out. 
Um, no, <laughs> no zombie army, no Nazgul's with Morgul blades, not even an AK-47. He has schemes. <laughs> Thank you, James. Um, schemes, wiles, deceits, tricks, deceptions. That's what the devil has. Who remembers Wiley Coyote, the cartoon? Oh, hey, good. So, I don't want to be too flippant, but for me, um, TV and, and what's around us put so many images of the devil in our minds. I wonder if this one is more appropriate. What do you know about Wiley Coyote? He chases Roadrunner. He always has a new scheme which seems fantastic, and it fails, and he ends up in a bad place. Is that right? He never gives up. That's true. So, um, maybe sometimes when we're thinking about this, we should think about old Wiley and, and what he's up to, because um, the devil has schemes. That is what he's about. And it turns out his best hope is our sin and our rebellion against God. And that's where the battle lies. He's a schemer. He's a liar. He is a deceiver. Okay? So let's think a minute, what are the devil's schemes? And see if we can get into this a bit. Think back to God's story in the Bible. And ask yourselves, or you can answer to me, where is he, the devil, mentioned in God's story in the Bible? Where? In the Garden of Eden. Yep, the serpent. Yes. In heaven at the end. Yeah? Or at the end, at least at the end of the book. <laughs> and where else? Prophecy. Okay. James is going to go for it. Temptations and... Judas. All right, there is Judas. I, I forgot. But the, do you mean the temptations in the wilderness, the temptations of Jesus? Yeah, yeah. So there are two very big stories that involve the devil that are in the Bible. One is in the garden in the beginning. One is the temptation of Jesus in the wilderness. And then he crops up in a number of other places. Some of them we'll look at later. Let's go back to the garden then. What happened in the garden? What did the devil do or say? To Eve. I guess Adam was listening. Aha, those words. Did God really say? Hmm. <laughs> so what was he trying to do in the garden? Or what did he do, I suppose? Yes, sir. He caused the fall from this questioning of what God said. Yeah. All right. That's good. So, um, in the garden, he tempted Adam and Eve to not trust God's words, to trust themselves apart from God, yeah? To trust in their own abilities to manage good and evil in their lives, and to choose a direction which was apart from the direction that God gave them, from their relationship with God. So the temptation was, was about pride, was about them finding for themselves what God had asked them to stay away from. What about the temptation of Jesus? Do you remember that at all? That's a bit more complicated, isn't it? What were the temptations that the devil had for Jesus in the wilderness. Ron has some. Yeah. Right. So, so it was all about the same type of deception. And in twisting the word of God, he's, he's kind of, he's twisting God's words. He's again taking this similar approach of 
did God really say? What was God really saying? What is right? Yeah? So, you remember the first temptation is that um, he uh, asked Jesus to turn stones into bread, right? To trust, for Jesus to trust in his own provision or provision for himself, but, but not just trust in God. Um, there was the temptation to jump from a high place to, uh, to doubt God and then to worship. Yeah, then to worship him rather than God. So all of these schemes of the devil that you see in those two episodes, they're all about leading us away from our full devotion and obedience to God. All right? You see that? In both of these cases, and I think those two cases actually are very interesting because <clears throat> in, in the temptation of Jesus, it's like God and Satan were starting again. In the garden, mankind kind of lost. <laughs> they got thrown out. Then there's a new Adam, Jesus, in the wilderness. And, and Satan is there again with the same basic temptation. So, this is the schemes of the devil which are leading us away from a full devotion and obedience to God with doubting God, with self-trust, self-pride, ego, we can say, self-glory. All those things, he's encouraging those to lead us away from full devotion and obedience to our Father in heaven. And as we saw in Ephesians 6, our struggle is not with the devil alone. It says the powers of this dark world, the spiritual forces of evil. So um, he has some folks along with him. He has some, some, some things happening with him. And there is a real spiritual battle going on that we cannot see with our normal eyes. And it involves this dark world, and, and it is opposed to God, and it is trying to lead us away from God. And the battle objective, and this is really important, the battle, battle objective of this battle, it's the allegiance of the souls of men and women. It's our souls. That's what he's after. It's the allegiance of the souls of men and women. Whether, as we said earlier, we are citizens or subjects of the kingdom of this world or the kingdom of God. So the first lesson we have to learn together is that a spiritual battle is happening and it's for the souls of men and women, for their eternal destiny. It's a big deal, right? And that's what uh, spiritual warfare is. The battle cries is the souls of people. And also if we're active for God, obeying his calling in our lives, we are likely to be a target for the devil. It's like we have a target on our backs. He will attempt to use our weaknesses, our selfness, perhaps, our sin against us. Because that's really the only weapon he has. That is his real weapon for his schemes to use those things against us. And we will walk as members of God's kingdom. We are going to encounter this, these spiritual forces of evil. Is that scary? Should we be hiding under our beds, leaving our lights on at night? Well, I think we're going to see that the devil is more about deception than power because the only power the devil has is from our doubt and disobedience, and maybe from our ignorance. We mentioned uh, the screw tape letters earlier. Who's read the screw tape letters? Oh, a good number of you, yeah, right. If you haven't read it, you, you might want to do that. It's a, um, uh, it's, it's a jovial tale about a senior devil directing a junior devil how to handle his man. Okay, and he doesn't do too well because early on in the book, the man becomes a Christian, which clearly wasn't in the plan. But... Um, it's jovial, but it gives an interesting view into the kind of misdirection and deceit that the devil uses. You don't have to buy it. I have a copy. I suspect James has five. I don't know. <laughs> um, we, we 
we have, we have plenty of copies amongst us. You can, um, you can come get some. Um, okay, second lesson. Second lesson is we have protection. And Paul calls that the armor of God. I'm a bit prejudiced on this topic because I think this is all I got taught at Sunday school was we, we had armor. And, and they had stuff, it had names, and I couldn't figure out what they were. Um, so is the armor of God. I like this, um, this picture particularly because, um, first of all, it's reasonably convincing. It's not just a picture of a Roman soldier standing there. And um, also it has armor spelt the right way. <laughs> now, now, come on now, think about this. What use is armor if it doesn't have you in it? Huh? Huh? <laughs> so, so we engage in this battle. Let's read on in, in Ephesians 6 and see what it tells us about the armor of God and watch carefully. So going on, it says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with a readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, and pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. So, what is the full armor of God that Paul describes? What are the pieces? Did you see them there? What are the pieces? I heard some. A bit louder. I'm hard of hearing. The belt of truth, the helmet of salvation, I heard the sword of the spirit, Breastplate of righteousness. Must say that right. Pardon? The shield of faith. Thank you, James. Yeah, look, look, I've got, I wore them this morning. The sandals. It doesn't say sandals, but I'm figuring that in Roman times they probably wore sandals. The sandals of the gospel of peace. Yeah? So, what are they? Well, that's a whole sermon. What's that? The Word of God. Didn't we not have that one? All right. Good. The sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, it says. Yeah? Thank you. So, we're equipped with truth, righteousness, peace, faith, salvation, the Holy Spirit, the Word of God. Yeah? And, you know, we could have used these pieces of armor is the basis of our everyday essential series, if you think about it. We've covered most of that, really, in the last few weeks. Um, and, uh, you know, there are messages available on the podcast, if you want to listen to them. Actually, the podcasts are really useful. What can you do when you're driving except listen to a podcast? I don't want to listen to music. <laughs> so, um, truth the belt of truth, the solid support of knowing that we follow the truth and we know him, the truth, the breastplate of righteousness, knowing that through his blood he has freed us from sin and guilt. We have that covering. The sandals of the gospel of peace, bringing the good news, the message of the good news of peace. The shield of faith, which denies and defeats doubts, continually trusting in his word and his promises. And then the helmet of salvation, knowing that we are saved through Christ. Whatever happens to us, we are saved, we are secure. And the sword of the Spirit, the very Word of God in us, fighting for us and revealing deception. All of those are the armor of God, the weapons and protection that we have when we are in Christ, when we're in Him and when we are trusting in Him. We could spend the rest of the morning talking about these, but 
I'm not going to because there's a lot of it which we covered before. There's one verb that's used in this passage as well four times. Do you recall it? Stand. Good. Well done. Yes. Stand. Four times it says in that passage, stand. All right? So, wearing the armor of God, we stand. But where? Where is the battle? That's what I want to go on and talk about next. Where is the battle? So, let's talk a little bit more about where the battle happens, what it looks like, and how we engage in it. Okay? Now, unfortunately... Um, I've known folk in the past that tend to overreact to this knowledge that the devil is real and scheming against us. It's almost like a paranoid reaction. So they start to see the devil in everything. So um, the devil turned all the lights red on me driving to work today. (laughs) The devil... The devil made me late for church because all the lights went red. Yeah, and I left late. Whoosh. Um, <laughs> the five kids. I'm not going there. <laughs> the devil made me spend more money in the mall than I'd intended. Um, you see the danger, don't you? That, that it's easy to, to now use him as an excuse and to turn everything that way. As I think about this kind of mindset, that if you're thinking that way, you're tempted to think that way, that that sort of approach is like walking down the street while looking over your shoulder. Right? Because you're looking over your shoulder for the, for the devil, and what happens when you walk down the street looking over your shoulder? You run into something, right? <laughs> yeah, right, you run into something. So, and, and it's very important for us to keep our eyes on the Lord and not on the enemy. You know, the, the, the game here is not, we're not trying to focus on the enemy. We're focusing on God and what he has for us and where he's taken us. And the enemy is somewhere. So we have to be careful about that way of thinking. But for me, I see the enemy the battleground of the enemy in kind of two basic places. One is an inner battle, a battle inside us, and the other is a battle that's around us, more a battle in society. So I'm going to talk a little bit about both of those as as we go forward. The inner battle, the battle inside us, I'm trying to cue the slide, watch. Oh, that's done it now. It broke it. I broke it. See? It was the technical. Um, <laughs> the inner battle, um, the, the battle inside us, uh, really starts as soon as we become aware of good and evil. It really does. It's before we know anything about God, before we know anything about what he's doing. But the moment that good and evil is, is as any kind of clarity in our lives, that inner battle starts. And also in those around us, obviously. So, with those uh, that have not come yet into God's family, um, let's, let's think about that. Do you remember the parable of the sower? Yeah? Casting the seed. Right? And it falls on different places. Jesus gave us an interpretation of that parable. It's in Luke chapter 8. You can't see it at the moment. I'm sure we'll come back. Um, it says this. He says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is the word of God. Those along the path are those who hear. And then the devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so they may not believe and be saved. You get that? The devil comes and takes away the word from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. You see, the battle is for our souls and for the souls of, of those around us. As we, you know, as we see the, the, as we seek to be the light of God and we see God working around us and we see the work of the Spirit beginning to stir in somebody, 
and the word of God beginning to have an impact and draw them towards the kingdom of God, the devil is there trying to snatch the word away. We need to pray against it. Really, we need to pray against it. You need to see that the devil is working against you there. He's working against you there because that is a battle for a soul, and he wants the soul. That's where he is. That's where he's battling. So let's be those that pray against the devil's work in, in snatching the word away, and don't allow that to happen. Don't allow those little deceits and lies and excuses you know, an excuse not to respond, an excuse to doubt God at a critical moment that pushes them away from a decision that they must make for their soul. That's spiritual warfare. That's where we have to pray. In Corinthians, Paul writes this, The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ who is the image of God. He has blinded their minds. The devil is doing this, blinding people to the truth. The battle is real. The devil has many tricks, and the stakes are high. Jesus said in John, he, that's the devil, was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is a liar and the father of lies. He is a liar and a murderer. What does a murderer do? A murderer takes away the life of his victim. That is what he's about. Pray. You have to pray. I have to pray. But the devil would rather have us thinking that he is magically changing traffic lights against us than for us to see what he's really up to. You know, what he's really up to is he's trying to get souls by deceiving them and by snatching away the word of God. Uh, the inner battle continues even after we have entered God's kingdom as well. So it doesn't just stop. It isn't as if once we've entered God's kingdom, we're, uh, we're somehow safe from that. And, and of course, we've experienced that. In the letter to, uh, to Colossae that we studied recently, Paul says, For he, God, has rescued us from the dominion of darkness and brought us into the kingdom of the Son he loves. So as believers, we have moved kingdoms. The kingdom of darkness is behind us. The kingdom of God is our place, the place where God rules and reigns. But then, but then what happens? The devil's lost a major battle, but he doesn't give up. Paul says this to the Corinthian church. But I'm afraid that just as Eve was deceived by the serpent's cunning, your minds may somehow be led astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. So he can't take you from Christ, but he can disrupt your walk with Jesus. He can lead you astray from your sincere and pure devotion to Christ. He can make you less effective or ineffective for Christ and in the kingdom of God. So we need to understand, again, the devil's tactic of disrupting us. So he's not necessarily trying to make our lives uncomfortable. In fact, he may be trying to make our lives comfortable to distract us from his mission and purpose. He's not trying to, to make sure you don't get that new car. He's trying to get you away from God. That's what he's trying to do. So anything in your life that could draw you in that direction, that's what he's about. So it comes, brings us to our little verse in Peter, which uh, most of you will know, that has the lion in it. Here you go. Be be self-controlled and alert. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that your brothers throughout the world are undergoing the same kind of suffering. Someone to devour. And 
Sorry? They're standing again. Thank you. Unfortunately, that word devour does have a U in it in both languages. Um, as far as I know, anyway, I don't think there's any American spelling without the U in this case. So he's trying to devour us, prowling around like a lion. He preys on our weaknesses. That might be something tangible like money or alcohol or possessions. It might be something less tangible like fears or selfishness or ego. On Memorial Day weekend, that was so before last weekend, um, I received a work email that, um, that kept distracting me. Um, kept causing me to focus on it rather than on the things that I was supposed to be doing, which included preparing this message, by the way. Um, it kept coming to mind, and it would, would replay. I would replay re replies to this email. I didn't reply to it, but I would replay them in my mind while I might say, do you ever do that, by the way? Is it just me? Oh, good. Right, just checking. <laughs> um, <clears throat> Finally, the Lord helped me to understand that the grip that this message, this situation had on me was not what was in the email. It was my ego and my desire to control. That's what kept repeating it in my mind and wouldn't let me let it go. So it was an attack of the devil on one of my weak points to distract me. I couldn't shut it out. I was struggling to shut it out because it was grabbing at stuff that was me, my sin. Instead, I should have trusted that God had that under control. And the next week, I went into work and the whole thing blew over and it was completely irrelevant. Spent a whole weekend thinking about it. Ah. <laughs> um, so he knows our weak points. And he knows them, unfortunately, more clearly than we do. And he will exploit them whenever he needs us distracted or disabled. So watch out. The devil prowls around like a roaring lion, resisting, recognizing. Don't hide from him. Stand. The devil loves conflict, too. Conflict between us. If we disagree, if we hold resentment, if we gossip, if we harbor a spirit of criticism, he will use that to drive wedges between us and make us less effective. You know, he'll even fragment us as a church if he can, as the body of Christ, split the church body so that we cannot function properly. That's what he's about. Beware of that. That's what he's about. There are other ways he can pray. Pray with an E. Pray. <laughs> On us. We can unwittingly give the enemy and his followers power over us. Who likes fortune cookies? Yeah, it's a trivial example, I know. Um, you read what the, uh, what the cookie says and you laugh. Um, but I'm always careful to avoid things that would recognize any power over me or my future that is not of God. I don't read horoscopes. I would never sit and have my fortune told. I don't go at light work of palm reading and, and similar things. I know some people see this as harmless fun, but the devil prowls around like a roaring lion, and you don't want to open a door that would give to him that would give him any power over you. I don't know if I've ever told anybody this before. I, I, I told Fiona yesterday. I said, have I ever told you this? And she said, no. So I've only known her 40 years. I was getting to it. Um, <laughs> when I was young, maybe nine or 10, someone I knew at school thought they could read palms. Uh, and they told me that my lifeline on my palm had a break in it around the age of 16, with the implication of an early death. I, I didn't buy into that prediction totally. But, you know, what do primary school kids know about palm reading? I, I didn't buy into that, but it stayed in the back of my mind. And it's hard to say as a teenager how it affected my growing up. But it was as though, looking back, I was in a tunnel for a few years. 
hoping that there was an end. Does that make any sense? Um, I did wonder at times if I was going to die in my mid-teens. Um, I recall being relieved when I was 18 that I seemed to have evaded a curse. It, and in fact, it wasn't until that age that I found Christ. So this was all without Christ in, in my life. I, I like to think that, that maybe the prediction was correct, except that in my late teens, I was born again into new life, which is what happened. But, and, I, and maybe I need to ask my community to pray with me over that at some point, but maybe it's okay. Um, but you see how these, these things can take a hold of you and you can give them power, which they should not have, because you have given them power in your life. What about superstitions? Black cats, touching wood, crossing fingers. If we touch wood, what are we saying? That the wood has power to ensure that something will not go wrong? That some spirit in the wood will protect us? How can a black cat crossing your path be bad luck? Is that a dog? Is that a dog? My dad used to believe that breaking a mirror would bring seven years of bad luck. He did. Is that a God? Don't grant those things power over you. You are granting them power over you if you give in to them. They are not of God, and God has the power. So we grant these things power over us instead of denying their significance in the name of Jesus. We have to walk wisely in this world. The devil prowls like a roaring lion seeking someone to devour. And, you know, there are some basic examples that we've been through there, and some of them perhaps you view as trivial, but we need to be careful. There are other things that will stop us from trusting God. We may have, you know, personal rituals that we believe have to happen. Even medications, I think, can take on this same controlling influence if we let them. So I want you to, to uh, ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to you if there's something you're relying on, relying on your life that is getting power of you that is not of him. You may already be doing that. But ask the Holy Spirit. Have folks come and pray over you and with you if you think uh, you see or he's teaching you something about that that may have power over you because you've given it power, but it's not of God. Words can have power over us too. Maybe you're in a situation where um, at some time in the past, someone has said something evil to you, um, which has grasped you, which is enslaving you, which is defining you. A teacher, a parent, a relative, something that clings to you and will not let you go. Be set free. Be set free. A lie cannot have that power over you, not in Christ. You, again, you may need prayer to... Ask somebody to banish the lie and have the truth prayed over you. The devil enslaves us with lies. If it doesn't come from God or it's not tested by God, we shouldn't be believing it. He's after our souls. Remember that. The other area that I wanted to talk about briefly was the, the, the battle in society. So let me get to that as quickly as I can. The devil's activities are not limit, limited just to our internal struggles. He's at work around us, in our society and in our culture. So we have a society of greed and consumption. I believe the devil is constructing that. Possessions, comfort, I believe the devil is constructing that. He's making it harder for us to live with God in our society. He is trying to find things that will distract us, that will tie us up in a knot which prevents us from seeing the truth. Money, greed, the money market. The success, the desire for success. Liberalization of the church, maybe. The way that... Uh, it is turning away from the knowledge, of the, the, the following of the, the teaching of Scripture. 
These are things that the devil is doing in the world to construct a world in which we are distracted from God and prevented from following him. Even, even the American dream. Uh, now, that can be described many ways. I'm not sure that it has a clear definition anywhere. But if the American dream is you can do whatever you want um, and you can be whatever you want and you can do whatever you want, well, where's God in that? Where's God? Isn't that feeding something else which is not of God? So these things are not easy to see. And in some cases... They're so ingrained in the lives that we live that we rebel against them. We say, no, that can't be a scheme of the devil. That, that's, that's not a scheme of the devil. That's just us. Well, let's be careful. In Ephesians, it says, you follow the ways of this world and of the ruler of the kingdom of the air, the spirit who is now at work in those who are disobedient. So he has used the corruption of men to build schemes of corruption, to, to build ways of this world which are opposed to God, to deceive many, to establish whole aspects of culture that are designed to lead men and women away from their true Lord and Savior, to imprison souls. That is what the devil has built, and he's been at it a long time. So, in these deceptive spiritual influences, we, you know, we have to be very careful. Fortunately, the Holy Spirit provides us help in seeing deception. And I want to talk about that briefly. Because the Holy Spirit can provide our spiritual insight and ability beyond our ears and eyes. And I don't think that we allow him to do that enough in our midst. One key gift is the gift of discernment. It's also called the, the gift of distinguishing between spirits. So the Holy Spirit gives some, spirit, some spiritual discernment to all these people, but to some he gives a special gift of discernment, to be able to discern when an idea, a thought, or an action are from God or simply from man or from another source, to see the root. That's a spirit of, it's a gift of discernment. And there are other gifts, too, that the Holy Spirit gives. Another one is the gift of knowledge. That's not the gift of being good at school or smarter than a sixth grader. It's the gift of knowing or seeing the truth about someone or something that you didn't learn by your normal senses. God will reveal, sometimes God will reveal specific knowledge that exposes the devil's lie. And don't think that these gifts are just for leaders and elders. That is not the case. That is really not the way that God works in his church. So you may have these gifts. You may have them. And you may need to use them to help the body of Christ, to help ourselves with God, to help us see and discern where the devil is and where God is. See the spiritual forces at work and to reveal them so that they don't undermine and destroy but so that the word of truth is real. Has anybody tried prayer walking? Some of you have done that, yeah? You've done some prayer walking. It's one way to engage in spiritual warfare, to walk around your neighborhood um, or wherever God calls you to as a community. Um, it can be with you on your own or with friends. You don't have to pray out loud, um, but ask the Holy Spirit to give you insight into the devil's schemes and spiritual battles going on in your neighborhood. Go, I've, I've, I've been in the garden for an hour praying. I don't say that for any reason except it was a very enjoyable experience. Um, <laughs> just to, to be praying what God is up to and seeing where the battle is and praying against the uh, forces of evil. As you walk around, you pray for those that you see or who you see, uh, or whatever comes to mind. Pray in the Spirit. You know, years of darkness and deception can be blown away by God's Spirit. Years of darkness and deception. One of my favorite prayers is the last part of Psalm 24. Let me 
play it through. Lift up your heads, O you gates, and be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord strong and mighty, the Lord mighty in battle. Lift up your heads, O gates, and lift them up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of glory. You can pray that as you walk. The King of glory. Let him come in. Break down the ancient ways. All right, so lastly, and time is slipping away at a rate, as it always does. Lastly, I want to encourage you to, uh, to fight this battle without fear. And we talked about that. We talked about how it is said in, in Ephesians and in uh, other places that we've read, to stand, to stand. And why is that? It's because God is already victorious and the devil has already lost. Um, in John 1, it says this, you, dear children, are from God and have overcome them because the one who is in you is greater than the one who is in the world. I think it's an understatement. In Hebrews, since the children have flesh and blood, he, Jesus, too, shared in their humanity so that by his death he might destroy him who holds the power of death, that is the devil, and free those who all their lives were held in slavery by their fear of death. He has come to set souls free and to set you free. And he is not going to fail at that. He is already victorious. Jesus has destroyed the power of the devil and the power of death over us. And we're freed into new life by the sacrifice of Jesus. He's battling for our souls. The sun sets you free. You are free indeed. There's a, a little passage in Isaiah. I don't have it all on the slide here. Where it talks about um, what the devil did and his fate. It says this. How have you fallen from heaven, O morning star, son of the dawn? You have been cast down to the earth, you who once laid low the nations. You said in your heart, I will ascend to heaven. I will rise. I will raise my throne above the stars of God. I will sit enthroned on the mount of assembly, on the utmost heights of the sacred mountains. I will ascend above the tops of the clouds. I will make myself like the Most High. But you are brought to the grave, to the depths of the pit. That's where the devil goes. In Revelation, we see his end. And the devil, who had deceived them, was thrown into the lake of fire and sulfur where the beast and the false prophet were, and they were tormented day and night forever and ever. So I want to encourage you to stand and fight. The schemes and deceptions of the devil are no match for God, and he has empowered us to fight. Stand, therefore. Listen to what the Holy Spirit reveals to you about the devil's schemes and pray with authority. Jesus said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. When we claim that victory, Jesus is left. Lift up your heads, O gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the King of glory may come in. Who is the King of glory? The Lord of hosts. He is the King of your kingdom come. The time is gone. Let's pray.